welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And sadly, Brenna is still not with us, but that's okay, because I have brought in a really good friend of mine, Nicole Goebel. And uh, Nicole, I'm so excited to have you here to discuss this interesting oddity with me. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about kind of my favorite, I guess, subgenre of uh, YA and kind of teen rom-com, the cichlet. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Yes, we have so much to discuss <laughs> about five feet apart. But before we get into that, I'll just do our land acknowledgement. So our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And today's text, Five Feet Apart, is set entirely in the fictional St. Grace Hospital in Location Undisclosed. And the film was shot in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is the traditional home of the Choctaw and Chittimacha peoples. Human touch. We need that touch from the one we love almost as much as we need air to breathe. I never understood that until I couldn't have it. It never fades away. This is my life with cystic fibrosis. Hi, bud. I'm still looking at that thing out of my face. What would I do without you? You'd die. (laughs) People with CF aren't supposed to get within six feet because we could end up catching each other's bacteria. You followed me. With the intent of introducing myself, I'm Will Newman. You're the kind of guy that ignores the rules because it makes you feel in control. Am I right? You're not wrong. You think that's cute? Do you think it's cute? There's no room in war for Do you know how lucky you are to be here? Nothing is going to save our lives. We're breathing borrowed air. These meds are not optional. Yeah, that's probably why they keep shoving them down my throat. <sighs> okay, we're going to do our treatments together, so that way I know you're actually doing them. Shake on. Funny. Baby, it hits so hard, holding up to my chest. Don't tell me the one time you're interested in some guy, he's also got CF. I just helped him set up his med cart. I know you, Stella. Organizing a med cart is like foreplay. (laughs) Six feet apart at all times. You both know the rules. You catch his infection and you can kiss new lungs goodbye. time I've been living for my treatments instead of doing my treatments so that I can live and I want to live. After all the CF is stolen from me, I don't mind stealing something back. 304 millimeters, 12 inches, one foot. So Nicole, you teased that one of your favorite YA subgenres is sick lit. What is it that you like or dislike or appreciate critiquing about these kinds of films and books? I think that cichlid is interesting to dissect because it often tries to create a disability experience, particularly Mm -hmm. around a disease or condition as a monolith. Like this is how an individual experiences cancer or in 
this case is sick fibrosis. And I always find it really interesting, especially if it's a condition that I have any frame of reference on. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, wow. I wonder why you chose this specific <laughs> thing to yep. focus on when that's, you know, maybe like 1% of the patients with mm-hmm. that condition will all have that. So I don't know. And it's really interesting, I think, also in what it, how it frames disability within a societal context of, mm-hmm. you know, it's always to me a story of someone needing to overcome uh, an element of their illness, their disability, right. or having, you know, their existence as a disabled person create value uh, for mm. other people. Yeah, Brenna and I have tackled a couple of these sorts of texts. So we've done Wonder, we've done The Fault in Our Stars. And one of the sort of recurring conversations that we ultimately end up having is who is the primary audience for this? And is it doing an accurate job of depicting the realities? Like, because I think so often the issue is that we're talking about movies and books that are aimed at a mass audience. And while they may aim to educate people about the lived authentic experience of people who are living and surviving and hopefully thriving with various medical conditions and disabilities and mental illnesses and all these things, too often it's to romanticize or make able-bodied people feel better about themselves or like, oh, you know, well, don't you want these two CFers to kiss in this movie as opposed to depicting some kind of reality to help people better understand, like, what does managing cystic fibrosis look like? Exactly, exactly. Having had an experience, I find it so interesting to be talking about five feet apart because I spent a chunk of my junior and senior years in high school in a cystic fibrosis ward mm-hmm. in uh, a children's hospital. And so I was just intrigued by these characters because I hadn't, I don't know who they are. This was <laughs> absolutely not connected to anyone that I knew with that condition. And it's not to say it's not somewhat accurate in general strokes, but I was like, no, I, this is completely different from anyone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going through, going through a regimen. So yeah, it was just really interesting to read and then to go back and watch um, quite the experience, a little PTSD. <laughs> oh dear, hopefully not too triggering for you. <laughs> no, I mean, and it, I was the, the oddity because I was in, I, I don't have cystic fibrosis, but I had to be in enteric isolation. So because of the protocols that these kind of wards have, which I think is kind of spelled out in mm-hmm. in the text, it was easier for me to be kind of in the ward where, you know, people had to use PPE to kind of come in and out of my room. I wasn't able to leave. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was able to have you know, venture out and talk to other people, it was all cystic fibrosis patients of various Uh, ages. So it was pretty interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to unpack some of your personal experiences, because if for no other reason, I want people to get to know you a little bit, because you also have your own podcast on the anatomy of a scream pod squad network. It's how you and I know each other. And you are very candid and open about your own disability experiences. And of course, you filter that through a horror lens on bodies of horror. So I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to chat a little bit more about that. But for now, maybe I'll quickly introduce a little bit about the text in question, just so if people haven't watched the movie or read the novelization, they have a sense of what we're talking about. So Five Feet Apart began its journey in January 2017. It was sold as an untitled screenplay. It was written by Tobias Iconis and Mickey Daughtry. And it was picked up for uh, a feature by Justin Baldoni, who I know as an actor from Jane the Virgin. And it was only after the screenplay was actually in development to become a film that it was then turned into a novelization by Rachel Lippincott. So technically, the book was published before the film came out, but the project is really one in the same. So mm-hmm. if folks have read or watched, you're kind of getting a similar experience. And this is similar to what Brenna and I encountered with Fire Song, which was also a novelization written after the film was already in development. But it's a relatively straightforward story, right? Like you said, it's cichlid. So we've got Stella, who is, uh, she has cystic fibrosis. She's a senior in high school. And she re-enters the hospital after a six-month stay on the outside because she's got a small inflammation in her uh, feeding tube. And she's pretty high on the donor list. So they want to make sure that if a new pair of lungs comes up, that she's going to be available She ends up having a meet-cute with Will, who is a bad boy, who doesn't treat his cystic fibrosis very seriously because he's pretty convinced he's going to die. He has a pretty serious, uh, contagious bacteria called B. sapatia, and basically cystic fibrosis folks cannot get within six feet of each other because they can be very dangerous to each other. And especially with Stella being so high on the lung transplant list, you wouldn't want to risk endangering anybody's chance should a new organ become available. And basically what they end up doing is falling in love and skirting the rules and deciding that they want to live life to the fullest, hence the title Five Feet Apart, where they steal back a foot from cystic fibrosis. And it's cute and charming and also a very romanticized audience-friendly version of what life with the disease is like. So you mentioned, Nicole, that this wasn't too similar to your experience when you were actually engaging with real-life CFers. And I'm curious, were there elements of the film or book that kind of rang a little bit more true to you? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think elements of the regimen that they're on. Mm -hmm. The aflovest, uh, the nebulizer. Mm-hmm. So one of the things about CF is that, and it's mentioned very briefly, I find it really intriguing also that the book and film talk, like it's about CF in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but it doesn't really actually describe what no. CF <laughs> is. So a couple of important things is that CF while it has a huge impact on the lungs because your body creates all this mucus 
Mm-hmm. And in everyday life, we cough, we sneeze, we do all these things because gunk has collected in our passageways mm-hmm. and it's the way of our bodies <laughs> getting it out. And individuals with uh, cystic fibrosis will get consistent like lung infections and pneumonia because they're not able to get a lot of the phlegm and mucus that would collect right. out of their lungs. There's also um, a gastric component to it. Their body doesn't break down certain, I think, foods. Uh, I think it's uh, amino acid um, related. And so that's why they have a G-tube mm-hmm. so that they can get the nutrients that they need. Yeah. And that's so unclear, I find, because like Stella makes a big deal about saying, oh, I get to eat as many milkshakes and puddings and I'm consuming mm-hmm. 5,000 calories a day, but she'd trade it for any kind of Cabo ready body to be healthy. And you're like, but I don't understand what's the deal with the food stuff. Like the lung stuff seems a little bit more clear, but the food stuff feels like, oh, you should just know this. Why don't you? Right. And I think that that's kind of what undercuts a lot of the power that, you know, the journey that we take with these characters, especially at the end, because I think there's this misconception that once, I I mean, this is clarified a little bit in the film, but just because Stella gets new lungs She's not better. <laughs> exactly. She's, she is still a CF patient. It's a genetic disorder. She mm-hmm. still has it. And, you know, they say, yeah, she still has CF. And, you know, lung transplants only last a certain duration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's important to really look at cystic fibrosis from a holistic and s- systemic kind of disorder. So, like, I would have friends in the CF ward that, you know, if I was passing by, um, I could see them, you know, doing what they call their treatments, where I think, and this is aging me a little bit, (laughs) but this was before you had things like, you know, the aflobest that you see in the film. Right. Basically, it was like this big (laughs) massager that they would just pound on the back oh no to like get stuff to to come up Mm -hmm. so i i will say that one of the most realistic i think moments is when they are doing the treatment and you see them like coughing up Mm -hmm. all the stuff like that is absolutely 100 percent true to many cfers experience Mm-hmm. And we should note that Baldoni was apparently interested in this because he had directed a cystic fibrosis documentary called My Last Days. And he ended up meeting a YouTuber named Claire Wineland. And she was a consultant on the film. She ultimately ended up dying before it came out. But they also had a consultant on set, um, like a, a nurse who worked with CFers to help them to, I guess, make sure that they were doing a reasonable job in portraying the the disease and how CFers deal with their, their regiment and their treatments and stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
I think the romance of the narrative and then the book ultimately ends up winning the day because they're still trying to make an entertaining product for people to consume. So there's been a divisive reaction among the CF community where some people say this is helpful, it's augmented awareness of the disease, and people are more interested in funding so that we can look for a cure and so on. But the film and the book did receive a heavy dose of criticism because it kind of plays fast and loose with some of these things. And really, at the end of the day, it's saying, wasn't the hardest thing of being someone with CF that you can't kiss a cute boy. Yeah. And I think that that's another aspect that you see woven into a lot of cichlid Mm -hmm. narratives. It's this battle between we want to be able to uh, stick to our regimen. We want to be able to basically still this whole thing, which is like, I want to live. So I'm going to do what I need to do, when I need to do it. I'm going to be super regular about it. So much so that I designed an app so that I can (laughs) put everything together. And I'm going to have my own med cart so that I'm not waiting for, you know, a nurse to come by and I can kind of arrange it the way that I want. Mm-hmm. And and then you have, you said at the very beginning, you have the world character that's really, truly a rebel without a cause. <laughs> truly. It's, you know, has kind of given up. And there's a sadness to that. I mean, I think anyone with a disability can kind of relate to those moments mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe you're not doing so well health-wise, you're experiencing some setbacks and it can feel really upsetting and hopeless. Mm -hmm. And I I understand that, but then it's like, well, you're being too strict with yourself and you need to live. Well, what is living? You're trying Mm -hmm. to define what that is for someone else that's making their own choice. Yeah, it it was actually something that I ended up appreciating more about the novelization because the film is very much Stella's journey and she is everything you described, right? Like she she is a self-proclaimed OCD, you know, very dedicated to educating people about the disease, but also doing everything she can to make sure that she will live long enough to get that new set of lungs. Like that is her goal. And of course, as we learn more about her and her family and some trauma that she's experienced with her older sister and her parents' divorce. She is suffering from survivor's guilt and a couple of other things that, you know, a teenager should hypothetically not be engaging with when they're fighting for their life. So she's an interesting character, but the film is very much her story. And Will just happens to be this, as you said, a rebel without a cause who comes in and kind of disrupts and and challenges her worldview. One of the reasons I ended up liking the novelization was because we get more insight into Will's character because we're alternating points of view. So every other chapter is from Will's perspective and we're getting additional insights into him that the film doesn't really offer. Mm -hmm. You know, he's depressed. He is tired of living exclusively in hospitals and not being able to go out and explore the places that he is staying in. So his mother is very wealthy and she can afford to get him into all sorts of experimental trials that take him around the world. But he's still inside the hospital and unable to enjoy 
life or experience what he considers to be true living. So he's thinking, as soon as I turn 18, I'm going to stop these treatments and I'm going to, quote unquote, go live. So the film and the book are interested in interrogating what does it mean to truly live and can people with CF have that kind of experience? And Mm -hmm. it sort of supplements love for living, which I think is a little bit dangerous because... I don't know that you you need to have someone to feel like you're authentically living. And I know that a bunch of people with CF who criticized the film said, you know, well, why can't you just tell a more authentic story, right? Like, why does it have to be this teen love story with tragic undertones and a really, truly ridiculous third act twist? Mm-hmm. So I... I definitely see it on both sides. And that's why I think I really come down the middle of this. Like I, I applaud both of these texts for being truly what they are, a classic YA sick lit text. And yet I can truly understand the frustration of people who might come to this and say, well, you partnered with like a fundraising charity so that we could raise money to look for a cure. And you, reached out to uh, influential Instagrammers as part of this campaign. And they just love it at every level to the point where you're like, well, this is yeah, just another cichlet entry. Yeah. It it seems very contradictory Mm -hmm. to, to kind of Stella's mission, which is to educate everyone that she knows about her condition and be really honest about what that condition looks like for her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I I agree completely. I do think that there is, especially within the book, like you said, I think we get a lot more insight from Will, mm-hmm. a little bit more understanding as to why he's, you know, coming off a certain way, why he's doing certain things, why he's right. kind of antagonizing <laughs> Very <much> so. <laughs> Stella. And I I appreciate that because then I think you're getting a, a slightly fuller picture mm-hmm. of a character, but I think still comes across as very much like, you know, this is what, you know, life is for me. Life is traveling the world. Mm-hmm. Life is having that kiss and experiencing that love where still is like, well, life is living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a heartbeat. It's a pulse. Yeah. It's, you know, being able to engage in the things that I care about, and I, I think that the film, I think, really misses something here because she has friends mm-hmm. that visit her. She has friends that she's, like, planning trips apparently with, although mm-hmm. she's like, of course, I would get sick and not be able to go. Right. So, I mean, she is living, mm-hmm. but he just seems really, you know, steadfast on the, you know, well, why, why bother doing your medication you're just gonna die we're all living on you know we're all breathing borrowed air Mm -hmm. so enjoy it and like that doesn't translate to everyone right well i'm interested to hear your thoughts on criticisms of ableism here right because that was definitely one of the the criticisms that folks ended up launching against this film was this idea that well, to take your meds and to do your regimen and try to get that transplant is not living. And I think for a lot of people, that is 
what they can do. Like that is their mm-hmm. life. And it may not be quote unquote normal, but it's the the veering into romanticization and the suggestion that you need to have love, you need to travel and those kinds of things. It's not only unrealistic for a lot of people who have CF, but also it dismisses their own reality in such a way that it's like, well, I guess you're living, but you're not really living if that's all you're doing. Exactly. How can you stand to wake up every day when you have to take a medication? Mm-hmm. Like what, what kind of hellscape do you experience because you have to give yourself an injection? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's really not that bad. It's my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's not terrible. Making choices to take care of myself by taking my medications and doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do isn't, I mean, we we see this reflected, I think, especially now. I think it's kind of interesting because this came out in 2019, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So then fast forward a year and mm-hmm. we were all trying to be six feet apart. And, you know, you have people who are like, uh, from the very beginning, oh, this isn't, you know, just go out and live if you were choosing to socially distance, mm-hmm. wear a mask. <laughs> and it's like, I'm still living. I'm sorry that you feel affronted by the fact that I think I should live and want to take care of myself and the people around me. It's not okay. about you. I don't know. I think that that's part of Cause I mean, this is also, I think thinking of uh, the vault in our stars, mm-hmm. very much kind of the, Hazel and Augustus. Oh, sure. Dynamic, yep. Where it's, you know, the rebel and the girl who's like, no, I'm going to go to my doctor's appointments. I'm going to mm-hmm. go through the process. And someone that's trying to upset kind of a system that's in place. And I think it all boils down to an ableism that speaks to, like, it's so beyond a non-disabled person to think about any of the day-to-day things that we experience that we just shouldn't experience them. Mm-hmm. This movie also plays exceedingly different now in a sort of quote-unquote post-COVID, post-pandemic world where we all went through an experience of having to socially distance, having to wear a mask, having to be careful about germs and bacteria and being very fretful about what was in the air because it was contagious. Like I saw this film when it first came out in 2019 and it does, it plays differently nowadays. And I wonder if things would be handled a little bit more sensitively. Like one of the critiques was like, they would be wearing their masks in the hospital almost all the time. Like if they were out of their room, they'd be wearing a mask and The Mm -hmm. the reality is, is like, we've got two very attractive, charming, likable actors in Haley Lou Richardson as Stella and Cole Sprouse. Uh, Sorry to everybody for just like throwing so much Cole Sprouse content at you this month, but (laughs) this is how it worked out. And they're, they're really likable and pretty, even though this movie is making efforts to make up them and give them some some appropriate scarring in the pool sequence when they take off their clothes so that we can see yeah. that they have had multiple surgeries and they are they are more gaunt than we would expect and so on 
so I think it's doing those efforts, but at the end of the day, like we're not going to have an entire movie where we're covering up our beautiful actors because we want to see their faces. And to a certain extent, we want to see their bodies. And it's, it's that uncomfortable compromise and interplay that I have with this movie where I'm like, I get it. You want people to want them to smooch and have sex and be romantic and be pretty, but also that's not real like this is the hollywood version of cf and i can see why people would really take umbrance with that sure and i think i i think a lot of folks have kind of given up the ghost of seeing something super realistic Mm -hmm. in terms of this play out in anything short of a documentary because that's just not an interesting thing for folks yeah, Hollywood has decided real life is not interesting. We need entertainment, and entertainment is not authentically true. Yeah, it's it's kind of what we we envision it to be true. And like I said, like when I was in the hospital, the last thing I wanted was to, you know, have like this little love story going on mm-hmm. I was sick I felt like right. you wanted to be better <laughs> yeah I was not trying to like go hook up with someone I was like <laughs> no um I wasn't you know stripping down in a pool which all hospitals have accessible to patients mm-hmm. easily and not monitored in any way right so yeah and I think you brought up such a brilliant point with the masks, because CF is also what a lot of people would consider a hidden disability. Mm. Most of the scars and, you know, the central line port, the G-tube, all of that stuff is hidden mm-hmm. for the most part. And yes, if you, you know, are in a particularly bad way or going in for a tune-up, then you may look a little gone. You may look a little sick um, because you are, but you're not going to walk down the street and be able to say, Oh, that person has CF Mm -hmm. because it's something that is not apparent. And so I think it's really interesting to see films where you have a disability like that versus something that would be, you know, very apparent with, you know, either really visible scarring or mm-hmm. anything along those lines. Those types of disabled folks usually don't get the love story. Right. Yeah, I think this movie tries to find a compromise by using the portable air packs that they have. So we do often see Richardson and Sprouse with like a breathing tube that they can wear almost like a like headphones. So It does have that to kind of, I guess, help us remember that these are individuals who have reduced lung capacity, they need more air and so on. But Mm -hmm. it sometimes feels like it's playing fast and loose with that. Like, maybe we can transition and talk about the end of this, uh, because I'm kind of on board with both the book and the film up until about the last like act or the last 30 minutes of the movie, where... Suddenly we have a queer secondary character 
Poe, which is Stella's friend. She's known since they were six and they first came to the hospital together. And he is queer and has been breaking up with boyfriends for years because he was afraid of commitment, like what it would mean to have someone have to take care of him as he got older and didn't have the finances to support his own treatments. And there's this great moment where they celebrate Will's birthday and everybody's happy. And then, of course, they get caught by the head nurse who's a big softy but also she's very mean because she wants them to follow the rules and stay safe and it seems like we've all dodged a bullet and then poe dies and stella goes off the deep end and she wants to give up all of her treatments and run away with will and have kisses and we get this absolutely ridiculous ending where they go out into the outdoors it's snowing they're barely wearing clothes and we end up playing around on the ice and then Stella falls in. And of course we have to give her mouth to mouth resuscitation because she stops breathing and that's when the lungs become available. Nicole, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's so tropey and I know exactly why they did it because this movie is cichlid and it wants to be slightly emotionally manipulative so that we feel things like we want to feel things for these characters but I just find it so ridiculous that it feels like it actually undermines all of the good work that both the actors and to a certain extent, the depiction of the disease in the first part of the film and book have done because it just so desperately wants you to fear that one of the two of these characters is going to now die. Right. I don't think I have not had an organ transplant don't think it works like that no. it don't <laughs> like oh you have three hours let's go there may be some like extreme cases where there's i don't know you're it's an organ you're obviously on a time crunch but it's nothing mm-hmm. like that and yeah i mean you have characters that have lived their entire lives with this illness and have been dealing with it and yet you know you have Stella on the one extreme who has always seemingly exercised quite a bit of caution and care towards her her illness and yet she's like oh I'm gonna go out in cold weather because there's no way I can get sick right from being out in the snow walking around late at night Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's just, I mean, it's very Chekhov's lungs because it's mentioned <laughs> at the very beginning. And then here they come, mm-hmm. like FedEx. Right. And you don't have to sign for the lungs. You don't have to be there for the lungs to show up. I, <sighs> yeah, it was, it's so ridiculous. And you have to have them both kind of on the very line of life and death. Mm -hmm. and uh, the drama yeah and and that's just what it is it feels like unnecessary drama because the reality of what people would be going through is not dramatic enough and i really hate the escalation of conflict and crisis in both of these texts because of course like the problem is is with a novelization you're not going to change that ending even though it patently doesn't work But because it's a novelization, you're really only able to expand a little bit on it. So 
you know, mm-hmm. it's very similar in both texts. And then the real difference in the ending is that in the film, we just end with a kind of treacly YouTube post because Stella is a YouTuber who talks about her her CF treatments to try to educate folks. So we get a kind of schmaltzy love actually ending where we talk about the value of human touch and what it meant to her. And you're like, okay, fine. I actually prefer the ending of the book, even though I'm not sure how accurate it is, but Will ultimately ends up continuing his regiment, but he gives up on the experimental treatment so that he can do a bit of traveling with his friend. And he Mm -hmm. ends up seeing Stella at a distance and she is looking healthier and happier because she too is traveling, but she's got her new set of lungs. So they see each other and they're both happy that the other is still alive but sad in the knowledge that, you know, obviously they cannot be together because the realities of their disease prevent them. And I thought that that was a more hopeful and I think realistic ending compared to the film, which felt like it really just wanted to put a pin in everything and be like, well, go out and touch someone, everyone. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think the thing that also works with the book ending is that it still recognizes that Stella has this disease. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's still saying there's still a risk for her because she still has CF. Even though she's Mm -hmm. traveling, she's got these lungs, she still can't be with him because if she were to get this bacterial infection, it's pretty much a a wrap Mm -hmm. for, for the new lungs. So, yeah... One of the things, too, with her getting the lungs, so they have kind of the whole drama set up of having to get her to the hospital mm-hmm. for the lungs in such a condensed time. She almost dies. He almost dies. They get mm-hmm. there. She doesn't want them. Right. Because, oh, my gosh. That... Because she's like, well, no, because then I... I can't be with him. And it's like, well, you can't be with him now, really. No. <laughs> It's nothing about it changes. Like, what about having new lungs changes what you can and can't do? Mm-hmm. Absolutely zero things. So it boggled the mind. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that he has to tell her it's okay to undergo right transplant. He gives her permission. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, here are the parents, like hovering over her, sobbing. Mm -hmm. We've worked so hard for this. Everything that you've done, and so you can get these lungs, you may have already. And there's also the fact that he's given her mouth to mouth. Mm -hmm. So, But she miraculously doesn't catch the bacteria, the very contagious bacteria that he has. Sure. Because we we just go full (laughs) sci-fi with that. Um, because she she would. She and, would, 100%. But the doctor, who I think is really just, I think, straightforward, like, yeah, she probably has it and we're just going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But she's got the lungs, let's go. Right. That's an authentic moment where it's like, you know what, these lungs are going to go to waste and she's here. So we're going to give them to her and we will treat the bacterial contagion afterwards if she does have it. And then instead, the movie is just like, no, it's perfect. She's totally fine. There was no issue at all. And you're just like, what are we doing? Yeah, no issue with, you know, a double lung transplant. No, nothing. 
Um, She just goes through it. And I think really the cherry on top of all of it is the breakup Mm -hmm. where he's like, here is what will make this person that I care about who just underwent this massive Mm -hmm. surgery has undergone all of this orchestrated drama. Mm -hmm. But what is really going going to be important for her and me is for me to bring in family and healthcare professionals on a breakup. (laughs) And it is, it is the stupidest take on like the, will you go to prom with me? Right. I think it's like, Will you never speak to me again? Because mm-hmm. we just can't be together. And it's like nothing about this has changed. You couldn't be with, technically, be with her before. Mm-hmm. Nothing about your situation has fundamentally changed, and yet you're Watching acting like, like you're now. Just everything has changed. Yeah, and maybe it's also connected to the fact that. Poe has died, mm-hmm. which I think is just... It's cheap. Oh, it is. I mean, it's beyond cheap. It's free 99 It's nothing. <laughs> because it's... You have this person that is supposedly, like, her best friend, a confidant, someone that she's grown up with, and not just a friend and a confidant, but a rare friend that they have a real connection mm-hmm. and can understand each other's yes. experience. And the book does a little bit better because you learn a bit more about Poe. Mm-hmm. But in the film, you barely learn anything about him. Oh yeah. He's not a character at all. Yeah. It's absolutely mind boggling. And so I think that, you know, part of all of the ridiculous decisions being made, I think Poe's death and its impact Mm -hmm. is supposed to be a part of that. But because it's so kind of poorly uh, shoehorned in, it does not translate at all. Well, I I think what I've come to realize, because this really didn't work for me the first time, and then knowing what was coming this rewatch for the pod, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to take a critical distance back. And I think the reason it doesn't work is not just because it's manipulative, because we, at the end of the day, we come to expect that from this type of text, right? Like, if it's cichlid, it's going to try to pull at the heartstrings, it's going to want to make you cry or laugh or cheer, that kind of stuff. What I think it is, is that this is talking down to the audience. This is treating us like we're stupid because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Stella, yes, she is grief stricken. I understand she has lost one of the most important people in her life after already losing one of the most important people in her life with her sister's death. Mm -hmm. But this also only takes place over the course of about a month and It feels like the film, and by extension, the novelization, is saying, well, they're teenagers. They're stupid. 
they fall in love so quick and so hard and so fast, they just lose their G-damn minds. And, you know, they put their lives at risk because they would rather die or risk dying if they can't have love. And it's supposed to be endearing and cute and sweet. And it's not because it treats these characters, these teenagers, like they're stupid and therefore we are stupid. And I'm like, the movie and the book both did a reasonable job of not treating its characters like they were dumb until this point. And then it just goes off the deep end. And I'm like, no, you blew it. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. And again, it goes back with the sister, Abby. Mm -hmm. When you discover that she's died, she has died because she I guess she was like an adventure seeker. Yeah. Well, my sister isn't able to go and have these experiences. So I'm going to go and have them for her. Mm -hmm. And sweet idea. Real nice. (laughs) But it's like, you know what? I don't want you to jump off a cliff. You know what that does for me? Nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not paying for my prescription. So, you know, do you. And leave me out of the narrative. (laughs) But I also think that the film does a weird thing with the sister. Although, I mean, it's not really all that kind of truncated. Mm -hmm. There's this whole thing in the book that keeps coming back with Abby has really almost, there's almost like a vibe of parentification. Because Mm -hmm. Abby seems to be the one that's with her in the hospital all the time. Right. Because the parents are unreliable because they have let their their concern about Stella's health effectively turn them into whiny children, hence the divorce, hence them acting petulant around each other while she's undergoing major surgery. Yeah. It's extremely and unfortunately true that kids with disabilities parents often divorce right i have heard that Mm -hmm. yeah my parents divorced right after i was born because my dad wanted nothing to do with a disabled child um so it becomes like it's it's very real and then you add in the death of the older sibling and Mm -hmm. i also felt a real I don't know. I don't want to say I I felt kind of a connection to the overall idea of like you have an older sister. I have an older sister. Mm-hmm. But my older sister would never visit me in the hospital. Oh, really? No. Like she would not acknowledge me. Ooh. But one of the, I think the book kind of hits on that it was this mix of having Stella dealing with her illness Mm -hmm. and having the older daughter pass that really made the marriage a done deal. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate, but it's, I mean, I think it's realistic, right? but yeah, parents are not going to be in a waiting room or at the hospital in the ER while their daughter's getting prepped for massive surgery, bickering with each other, getting into those things. I think most parents regardless of what their dynamic is, are trying to keep their kid away and out of that. They want 
to kind of present, if they're able to, a united front of we're here for you. We want to both be supports, even if we're not together mm-hmm. or together as a support system for you. Yeah, I'll confess that the the stuff with the parents, like in, in some regards, I almost think that the story would have been more interesting had it just been Stella dealing with her parents in the wake of her older sister's death and being like, mm-hmm. like, that's it, like, no love story at all. But obviously, that's not what we're, that's not what we're doing here. So that's fine. But I get really frustrated with the parent storyline, particularly in the book, because we use it as this weird opportunity for yes, uh, will to come in and kind of act in Abby's he replaces Abby to a certain extent, right? She's always mm-hmm. been there for Stella during these uh, invasive surgeries. And then Will steps in to kind of take that spot because the parents are unreliable. But also then we have this weird magical nurse, for lack of a better term. Like, And it's tricky because I saw the film before I read the book. So I always read the character as Black because it's a it's a Black actress in the film. But she is the best, right? And she ends up yelling at these parents when Stella goes in for her surgery and saying, you know, you two need to shape up and present that unified front that you just talked about, Nicole. And then by the end of the book, when Stella has gotten her new lungs, we learn that the parents have reconciled and gotten back together. And I was like, no, that is also super disingenuous. Like, your child getting a five-year lease on life because she has new lungs does not magically repair your divorce. No. Yeah. Good luck finding a slew of people who have had that experience because (laughs) it's not, that's not it. It's just too fantasy. Like not everything can be freaking perfect just because this is a rom-com. No, it's not even a rom-com. It's a rom-trom. Well, I mean, are they getting back together because they're like, well, I guess we should be married for two funerals. Like, it's so, it's obscene. Mm -hmm. And I don't get it. I think you're exactly right that Will is, and this is something when I was watching the film, kind of stuck out to me. And I felt a little bit weird thinking about it. Will is a proxy for Abby. Mm Mm-hmm. Real talk, I don't think that Stella really loves Will Mm. at all. Okay. I think... She sees Abby in him, and she misses Abby. Yeah, it's a risk taker, an Mm -hmm. artist, that she can plug all of these feelings that she has for her sister Mm -hmm. into this other person. Yes. And Poe calls her on that, too. They're like, the fight scene, he's like, "Uh, you just see Abby in him. Exactly. Again, the character that I think is the most straightforward, interesting in terms of like, we know only smidgens of Mm -hmm. his backstory, especially in the film. We learn a little bit more in the book, but like his parents are in another country. Yeah, they got deported. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not interesting enough. Apparently, yeah. He just needs to be the dead body at the end mm-hmm. let us oh. know that we need to value life and yep. it's like no he's hate it. he he had goals and ambitions and interesting things mm-hmm. that he wanted to do and he had relationships and uh it just 
I love that Poe was so succinct in being like your kind of makeshift Abby that you've created or trying to create with Will mm-hmm. to kind of let go of your guilt. That's not working for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry about it. And then they they do have the fight scene. I'm glad that the fight scene didn't. Uh, I'm glad they didn't fight and then he died because I could have seen them doing that too. Yeah. Or that it wasn't prolonged. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get like a whole stretch where they were right. battled, and you know they didn't have to bring Will into it in a very like concentrated way. I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad they let kind of it transpire the way that it did because um, yes. I think it actually speaks to them having a genuine relationship. Right. But I just yeah. Well, Brenna and I have often had this conversation that sometimes like the creatives behind these movies and these books don't truly understand which characters and which stories are the interesting ones that they maybe Mm -hmm. should be pursuing. And I feel that way with Poe every time I'm just like, oh, think about how interesting this book and this movie would be if this was about Poe or even Poe's relationship with Stella, right? Like, I'm sorry, but I don't find a lot that's fascinating about Will and Stella's written in the stars romance story like it's very familiar i've seen this generic white kid story before we're just filtering it through a lens of cf and part of me is like you could keep that and still tell an interesting story about this girl who was trying Mm -hmm. to live a valuable life while coping with her disease but also say okay how does that affect my relationship with my parents with my dead sister and also with my best friend who is also going through a similar thing like I'm sorry, that is a more interesting story to me than your generic love. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's also, you know, they're at that age. Um, They're seniors in high school. I assume Poe is, we don't, I don't think we get a specific age for him, but Mm -hmm. I think he's of the same age. Right. But he's actually thinking about adulthood Mm -hmm. and his future because he's like, You know, I'm thinking of (laughs) these romantic partners in terms of long-term, like, one almost kind of heartbreaking moment when he's talking to her about, like, some of the dynamics that came into play as to why he and his last boyfriend, Michael, broke up. Yes, I love all that stuff. Yeah, and it's like, well, he's going to be the one that takes care of me, and I don't want that to be his burden. And that's so real mm-hmm. because as you are becoming an adult, that's what you're thinking about too. It's not just having a relationship like Will and Stella's, but having a relationship where maybe someone isn't going through that exact same thing and they're going to have to be there for you in a completely different way. Right. How do you reconcile that? And it's so interesting the way that he it's played in the film, the way that the actor plays it mm-hmm. is fantastic. So interesting. And yeah, instead we get a relationship that I don't think is an actual relationship. I think no. it's a girl who misses her sister, finds a boy that she can work some of her issues out with. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And maybe... Maybe that's a good place to kind of wrap it up. I do think all of these actors are doing 
what they can with this material. Like I, I like mm-hmm. Richardson and Sprouse a lot. I do think you're right. I think that um, Moises Arias, who plays Poe in the film, is great. There just is not enough of him. Yeah, and I like the actor who plays Barbara as well. Uh, Kimberly Haber Gregory. Yeah, she's shooting warmth. It's, I think to me, I'm just a little tired of having this like, you know, this black woman who will take care of these white kids and Mm -hmm. she has no interior life of her own, but, you know, she's so caring. I'm just like, okay, that's great. Like the the actress is doing everything she needs to, but the part is severely underwritten to me. I will say that I appreciated the fact that there wasn't, I mean, it did go into a lot of kind of tropish Mm -hmm. characterizations, you know, especially with healthcare professionals. But I actually found myself kind of enjoying the fact that she wasn't trying to be a parent to okay. them. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that she was like, I'm here to keep you alive. Right. And if you guys are going to be just jerks about this, not listen to me, not do what you're supposed to do. Like her frustration mm-hmm. and... It's very real. <laughs> yeah, and it was very justified. It's like, we put this stuff in place to protect you mm-hmm. and so that you'll live. I don't want to have you die on my watch. And she has a story of, you know, another couple of mm-hmm. CFers who passed away. In the book, it comes across way different. Yes, I appreciate it in the book a lot more. In the film, it just feels like it's arbitrarily dropped in. That and it just, it's like they both died together in the hospital Mm -hmm. where you get a very clear, like, no, one patient passed away like a couple of years later, the other one like a decade after that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an appreciation of a nurse that's been in that position for a while, has seen some things and experiences some really hard, hard, hard stuff. Mm -hmm. and. I think that all actually came across to me as really, I think, true and right. very lived in with its delivery. So I really liked her and I liked that she wasn't necessarily just being a surrogate parent, but mm-hmm. was like, no, I'm here to actually do a job. Right. Help me help you. As opposed to Nurse Julie, who in the film... You know, when Poe dies, we see her crying at the nurse's station. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And like, my mom is a nurse and she dealt with premature babies. And I'm not going to project and say, oh, well, because my mom did this, that means all nurses are mm-hmm. like this. But like, nurses lose people. You're not going to have that kind of emotional reaction, it, at least while you're still working your shift. The reality is, it's like, there's things that need to happen. You have to keep it together. You might recuse yourself and go home, but like, yeah. it's just, again, it's so the film wants you to cry and it wants you mm-hmm. to see other people crying so that you feel bad. And it's just like, stop, stop it with the romanticization of all of this. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <sighs> okay. Well, why don't we switch over to some YA bingo and see how this film fares? Yes. Bingo. Not a good bingo. Well, I think, obviously, one element that stood out to me was the ableism. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, kind of baked into the batter with this 
we started with ableism and then we developed a story. Right. Exactly. I also was thinking house porn. Oh, okay. Because you're not getting rooms like this. Mm-hmm. Like, no. You're not getting, like, dorm rooms set up. Right. These are small. These are cramped. Yeah. Brenna would be upset with me if I didn't mention the classism of this because nowhere in this book or movie do we talk about how expensive this kind of care is. And yeah, like the the movie makes it look like they're staying in a residence at a, a college or a university. And the reality is, is that this kind of care, it would be costing these families an obscene amount of money. And that is never broached like we only hear it from poe when he's talking about what the realities will look like when he ages out of the healthcare system and i appreciate that line but for me it's definitely not enough no i agree i agree that's a really i think good point because no one besides poe and i mean he not only straight up talks about like how am i going to be able to afford Mm -hmm. this but talks about like, well, I'm at that age to where I'm going to be aging out of the insurance that I have. Yes. And, yeah. and then what happens to people like this, right? And the exactly. film is just like, oh, that sucks. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's move back to smoochies. Yeah. So I guess you have to die. <laughs> oh, my like, God. Literally, that's what the film says, right? Well, I guess you're, like you're, you're not going to be able to pay for your treatment. Well, here you go. Yeah. Um, so. I, I do appreciate that point because, yeah, medical care, even with some baller insurance policies, mm-hmm. we're staying. Yeah, these families would be in massive debt. Mm-hmm. The other, I mean, borrowed time. Yes, absolutely. Because that is brought up all the time. All the time. And then literally when it's like three hours until the lungs arrive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like you could track it on amazon like when sure. you have a delivery it's like let's pull up the tracking where are we at how many stops let's go <laughs> um and then i would say i kind of thought that maybe this was a slightly different one mm-hmm. but the aged up yeah forever young because i think especially with a condition like cystic fibrosis where individuals don't have a very long life expectancy mm-hmm. um there is that kind of stuck in amber feeling mm-hmm. you know even if they do get beyond a certain point of childhood you know past the age of 18 they haven't experienced a, a real what we deem a real childhood right. or what folks that are not disabled would deem a real childhood And so they stay kind of like a child mindset. You know, she's a senior in high school with a stuffed panda Mm -hmm. that she brings everywhere. So who has also managed her own meds since age 12. Yeah. And designed an app. (laughs) Oh my God. I love the app. Like I love to see a woman in STEM, but it's kind of ridiculous how much it's like, and I'm a girl who designed an app. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, good for her. Good for her. Fantastic. Love it for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, she she does well with that. Um, yeah. 
And then I, I think the other one that really stood out to me was, well, I kind of went back and forth on this one. Mm-hmm. I was trying to find ones ones that may be a little bit outside the box. Okay. The chosen one. Interesting. Because she's the one that gets the lungs. She's deemed herself kind of a prophet of CF. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I kind of got a feeling of the chosen one. She's cute, so she gets to live with shiny mm-hmm. new lungs. Right. <laughs> Quite literally, the chosen one by the film, she gets to live. She gets the lungs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so I I opted for some of the more obvious ones. So I went with Hollow Romance because I don't believe a lick of this romance between the two of them. And Mm -hmm. a queer secondary character for Poe. We got a lot of musicality. Like this feels like it was constructed in part to sell singles from hot artists. And I I say that as though I'm like really coming down on this movie. I, I like this movie fine. I just find certain yeah. parts incredibly grating. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'm going to give it an authentic voice because even though they claim to have consulted with folks from the CF community and they had this nurse on, they get as many things wrong as they get right. And these authors and this director are not coming from a space where they know these people. Like, There's no authenticity in their lived experiences. And I think that that really shows in some of the directions that they chose to, to pursue. Sure. I always am skeptical when someone says, well, you know, we had these consultants mm-hmm. where we ask people, well, I can ask someone a thousand questions. It doesn't mean I'm going to care about a single one of the answers. Right. So, I mean, the proof has to kind of be in the pudding mm-hmm. with medications. And even the fact, like, when we talked about Wonder, we talked about the fact that there were actors who auditioned for that movie who actually had facial disfigurements similar to what was described Mm -hmm. in the book and they ultimately didn't select any of them and they went with jacob tremblay because he could emote and was like cuter and able to perform the work and you know i did see some people say well you cast two able-bodied actors for this role and i imagine yeah Mm -hmm. it would have been more challenging to have filmed this movie with people who actually have cf And yet part of me thought, okay, so we've got a creative team. They have an interest in in spotlighting the disease, but they don't personally have a connection to it in that regard. And then you've got a consultant, but like even the actors, like I just think that there were opportunities here to involve the community more and they opted not to take them. Yeah, and I think some of that also comes from the fact that we only get glimpses of the fact that, you know, this has been a lifelong experience mm-hmm. for these kids, but we don't understand like what it was like for them growing up. Mm-hmm. Like when they were talking about the roses, I thought they were going to go the 65 roses oh. route because that was a big thing. I'm not exactly for sure when that campaign started, but it was a campaign for young kids who couldn't say cystic fibrosis, Uh, 65 roses. Oh, interesting. I had never heard of that before. Yeah. So I thought that there was going to be some tie-in to be like, you know, Rose, because, you know, when we were kids, 65 roses. Mm. But 
Yeah, that feels like a missed opportunity, doesn't it? Mm hmm. Hmm. Um, let's see. I've got good friendships for Stella and Poe because I do believe in that one. Yes. And then my final one is Perfect Date because, I mean, if you can't nail that in one of these movies, you've done something incredibly wrong. And well, I think Richardson and Sprouse, they've got okay chemistry. Like, I like them more as individuals than I like them as a couple. But I think that's more of a testament to the writing and how I just don't really believe in their love affair. But I will say seeing him go on the scavenger hunt and then have that birthday dinner, their pool date. I do think that they're they're trying their best to convince us that these people are having magical moments. And I I enjoy those scenes particularly. Yeah, I think that those sequences, those scenes, those moments with them. You know, I do think, even though I don't buy the relationship at all, being <laughs> a relationship, there is a chemistry there. Right. I think that they would be friends. Mm-hmm. And that would be it. Right. So because of the chemistry, I think you do genuinely get a sense of like, you know, they care about each other and they want each other to have, you know, a fun time with this. Mm-hmm. Like when I was doing the... um the scavenger hunt for the birthday. You know, that's stuff that you would do for a friend. Sure. You know, to, to make something special for them. So, yeah, I think that there is there is like this chemistry that makes their moments kind of away and alone together, you know, meaningful. But again, I, I think it's just as meaningful between her and Poe. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hollywood has never missed an opportunity to turn a friendship into a romance, but not always for the better. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, that is all I have. And well, it is a very generous number of tropes that we have identified (laughs) due to the configuration of our brand new book five YA bingo board. Sadly, that is not a bingo line. Ah, well, I guess we can't win them all, kind of like this movie. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Nicole, this has been so delightful, and I've loved having this conversation with you. But I want to uh, open up the floor. So if people want to connect with you, learn a little bit more about your experiences in disability, maybe listen to your podcast, how would they get in touch? Well, you can find me on the Bodies of Horror podcast over at Anatomy of a Scream, which, of course, Joe, you are very well connected with. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I have a biweekly podcast where I talk about disability and horror. You know, I'm a big horror fan, (laughs) and I think, you know, just like with cichlid i think there's some really interesting uh takeaways that you can get from just overall representation and and how horror frames Mm -hmm. uh disability as kind of a a piece of society so yeah um if you like horror and you want to hear someone talk about horror through the lens of disability i can be found there and you can reach out to me on twitter because i'm currently 
on Twitter, I make no promises. <laughs> you come and go sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just Twitter's a lot. Twitter yeah. is a lot. Um, but you can find me at Bodies of Horror. Super original, exciting name. Hey, it, it fulfills the brief, ma'am. It does what it needs to do. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. So if people want to get a hold of me, I can be reached at B Storm My Remote, and that's the letter B. And if you want to connect with the show, you can reach out on Twitter using the hashtag HKHSPod or at HKHSPod. If you have something a little bit longer, like if you want to talk to us about disability representation, if you've got a text that you think does better, if you take issue with anything that we said in this episode, you can reach us at HKHS. Nope. You can reach us at HKHSpod at gmail.com. That's the email. There we go. I managed to do it in two takes. Yes. <laughs> um, so folks, we have begun a new book. It's arbitrary, of course, because uh, we only took a little minor break this time. So next week, we are delving into vampire territory. So there is a new Peacock TV show coming out on Vampire Academy. But in the run up to that, we're going to actually look at the book and the movie featuring one Zoe Deutsch, who I am a big fan of, but I was not once upon a time. All right. So, folks, you know what you need to be watching. You know what you need to be reading. So, uh, until next week, we will see you on the page and on the screen. <laughs> <laughs>